Welcome to the Whistleblower Newsroom. I'm Christina Borgeson. My guest today is one of the highest level ongoing individual whistleblowers on corporate and government financial criminal activity both national and international in the world. Catherine Austin Fitz has been at it for more than 40 years. She is currently president of Solari Incorporated, publisher of the Solari Report, and a managing member of Solari Investment Advisory Services. Before that, she served as managing director and member of the board of directors of the Wall Street Investment Bank, Dillon Reed & Company. She was assistant secretary of housing and federal housing commissioner at the United States Department of Housing and Urban Development in the first Bush administration, and was president of Hamilton Securities Group Incorporated. Fitz has designed and closed more than $25 billion in transactions and investments to date and has led portfolio and investment strategy for $300 billion worth of financial assets and liabilities. Today, in part one of a two-part interview, Fitz is going to trace the criminal history of the fleecing of the people of the United States for more than $21 trillion and the destruction of the U.S. government's financial administration and regulation systems via a series of what she calls financial coups led by a small group of bankers and political leaders acting as their handmaidens in a process that began decades ago and to which, she says, major nationally traumatic events like the Kennedy assassination, 9-11, the 2008 crash, and the COVID pandemic are linked. Our conversation began with a discussion about her efforts to thwart this group of criminals years ago. There's no doubt I've been warning everybody about the financial coup since, well, I st when I left the administration in 1991, I said, you know, these guys are going to get a hold of the technology and kill us all. So I need another plan. And what I was trying to do was... When you say the technology, what were you talking about? Digital technology. I thought oh. they were going to use digital technology to take total central control. So um, I really, when I started Hamilton, I felt like I needed to take the technology and build a decentralized model that would be more attractive than, than you know, central control. Anyway... So I was trying to come up with an alternative plan in a positive way, but when they came after me, they left me no choice but to, you know, so rather than try and build alternatives inside, I had to go outside. Could you just straight talk us through that history, giving us the details of each landmark event of these financial coups? Everything I'm going to tell you is at hudmissingmoney.salary.com and missingmoney.salary.com. We had a missing money website on all the shenanigans of the federal government, including a wonderful series of briefing papers we did by our attorneys to describe all the federal financial management laws. And it was designed so a reporter of your quality could understand the legal construct for financial management laws without spending a year. So, so um, anyway, so that's there. But then I decided to roll up all the information and put it in two hard copy wrap ups that we essentially mailed to the four corners of the world in 2018 um, and 2019 so that that information would be in hard copy in thousands of places and it couldn't be suppressed in essence. Um, and so those two websites have all that documentation. There's just a wealth for everything I'm going to say. 
So I would start, Christina, with the end of World War II when um, we passed two laws that were instrumental in creating a secret money system. One was the 47 Act, the National Security Act, which essentially created the black budget. But then the second was the 49 Act that put the CIA in a position to claw money out of other budgets and really put it in the catbird seat. And between the sort of being above the law and the secret money, including all the money that was seized at the end of World War II, including put in a, the ultimate government slush fund, the Exchange Stabilization Fund, the, the seizures of, of sort of secret booty and the 47 and 49 Act put the CIA and the intelligence agencies in the position of being the most powerful bank in the world. It's essentially because you're above the law and you get an infinite amount of money and you get to keep it all secret and hide behind the authority of government. You know, it was an extraordinary mistake. And I, I remember after Kennedy's assassination, Truman wrote an editorial and basically said as much, you know, that he'd have made a mistake to allow this all to happen. One yeah. of the things that I can't understand is, is how with impunity, um, people in the government. And, and as we go along, I, I would ask you to name as many names as you can possibly about uh, behind these, these laws and these, these bills okay. and so on, because it, it has to be illegal for a government to pass laws that are against its own laws, its own constitution. Right. Right. And th right. this is the thing that I, I have a really hard time dealing with is how, for some reason, there's ne these situations have never been addressed on that level. And, and I think crimes like this breed bigger crimes. I always say the way to say it is crime that pays is crime that stays. And that's exactly what we've been happening. Um, but there, there are two places where the legal, the constitutional framework of the United States got compromised badly. The first was in the 4749 construct of secret money for secret intelligence agencies. But the second, as we'll see, is the regular determination that the large banks are above the law. So you, on the fiscal side, you have the intelligence agencies. On the monetary side, you have the central banks and their owners, the large New York Fed member banks. And they're basically given immunity under the law, and we'll get into that. So, so we have the 47 and 49 Act. And if you want to understand the who's who of the people, there's a great Solari report I did on the assassination of um, Forrestal. James Forrestal had been a partner at Dylan Reed. I was very aware of him and his work. And one of the things I've tried to figure out for many, many years is who really killed him and why. And I'm convinced he was killed by the group that wanted to get passage of the 49 Act and he was standing in the way. And, and he understood how dangerous secret money and these kinds of secret infrastructures were. Who was and in he, that group? You had basically the Rockefellers, Dulles, both the Dulles brothers, John Foster and Alan Dulles were critical in that group. And, and Alan Dulles, of course, critical in the assassination of Kennedy, which we'll get to. The next big event is the is the four assassinations in the 60s, starting with the assassination of the president and and culminating with the assassination of his brother, Robert F. Kennedy. And if you want to understand who's who in that story, I absolutely recommend The Devil's Chessboard by David Talbot. I think he absolutely nailed the who's who. It's a marvelous book and it really tells you the flavor of the time. 
that you had essentially the Rockefeller group and the Dulles, uh, Alan Dulles. I, I would describe on the Kennedy assassination that Alan Dulles was the project manager working with the CIA and the military, but through the governorship of the Rockefeller Foundation Board and the Rockefeller Group, working through Douglas Dillon at Secretary of Treasury, you were reaching into all the markets in Boston and New York. You had the basically the central banking side on board and the warfare side on board together. It, it's quite remarkable how many people were involved. It was a you know, you, and you'll see this happen in Washington when more and more people get frustrated when a political leader is trying to change the economic model, you end up with the strangest bedfellows coming together and, and getting together and saying, look, we just, but, but the thing to understand about that group is they really believe that what Kennedy was doing was gonna fail and jeopardize America. Um, and of course, that's where we start to see George H.W. Bush, who's a major player in the secret money from here on out, but he's a he's a lower level player in the assassination in the Texas group. But um, I would say if you want a real who's who, uh, Johnson knew about this, didn't he? Oh yeah, Johnson was sort of in on it. But Johnson was Johnson was one of those people who was supposed to do what he was told. I would not consider Johnson to be a major player. Obviously, he was. You know, if a court of law were to ever sit down and indict people. You know, he would be indicted for the assassination, I believe, if the truth was really... The reason why I say that is because, you know, everybody's always looking for firsthand sources about what happened. And I've always wondered about Bill Moyers and what he knows, because, you know, he was, he was Johnson's guy. Right. I would describe Bill Moyers as scared to talk about this. Yes, you know, of he, course. He generally, he generally never touches this with a 10-foot pole. Right. And, and understandably so, since, you know, Johnson was his, I mean, he was like a son to Johnson, apparently. I mean, this is what I've read. But, um, you know, you keep trying to find people who are still alive, who, who could actually address this. And, and I think he's one of them. And, and uh, you know, he's gone on to become the great uh, journalist, uh, speaking truth to power. There's a wonderful book by, um, by Janney, whose father was in the CIA, called Mary's Mosaic, and talks about Kennedy's mistress yes. who was assassinated within a year of Kennedy. And it's remarkable because literally hundreds of people were assassinated trying to bring out the truth on the assassination or trying to do something about it. So a lot of people died trying to... I mean, Mary was married to a CIA guy or an intelligence right. guy, right? Yeah. Right. Anyway, so, so Peter... Yeah, so Peter wrote... Um, you know, he was Mary's son. He wrote this book and he describes how all the establishment in Washington is terrified and doesn't know what to do and is going along. You know, they're all trying to, you know, it's almost like the Stockholm syndrome. They're all terrified and they're all, you know, looking for a way to adapt and pretend this really isn't happening. I mean, there, you know, since the Kennedy assassination, there has been a remarkable amount of Stockholm syndrome behavior because I will tell you something, Christina, it's phenomenal how many people have been assassinated. So oh. I don't know if you've ever seen, I have an article called Meditations at the Crossroad about the assassination, my mother's assassination. And I mentioned lots of names, including, because if you look at the group that I hold responsible for my mother's death, they're all the people who were in on the Kennedy assassination. 
or many of them were. Why was your mother assassinated? My mother was assassinated at the time of the church commission. And I don't know exactly what she was doing, but I knew she was doing something. And it wouldn't surprise me if she was talking to one of the commissions, but she was absolutely talking too much. And she really believed she had watched the narcotics trafficking come into our neighborhood and destroy our neighborhood. And she was furious about it. And she was furious about what this group, you know, the Bush group was up, up to. And what happened was the day that it was announced that George H.W. Bush would go into the CIA as part of the church commission cleanup. Remember, they fired Colby and put in Bush. She went nuts. And, and to listen to what she had to say, which was, she was pretty angry. She was gonna do something. I have no idea what she was gonna do. Wow. Um, but she was one of those people who thought she had standing. You know, How did they kill her? Read the article. Okay. All right. <laughs> I don't want to get bogged down there. But yeah, okay. Um, the point I make in the article is that we tend to talk about all these different things happening in America, narcotics trafficking or secret money or covert operations or assassinations or poisonings. And what we have to talk about is who's doing this because it's a yes. remarkably small number of people who are doing it. Yes. Okay. So let me keep going on the money because I think the money. I think the real vulnerability in the Death Star is the money and, okay. and, and what we can do about the money. Okay, so, so we, we did the 47 and the 49 Act. Now this creates an incredible power to mix secret money and covert operations with what is now the most powerful country and the reserve currency. So you're putting a group of people in a real catbird seat. The next thing that happens is Kennedy is assassinated. And the thing that was the most powerful about the Kennedy assassination, Christina, was the fact that they got away with it. I mean, yeah. one of the things I remember hearing was like, they're like, wow, you know, we got away with it. We got, you know, people will, and they almost lost it in New Orleans, thanks to Garrison. Garrison, Garrison what a brave, courageous, amazing man he was. Um, anyway, but they got away with it and that really emboldened them. So then you get George W. Bush, very H.W. Bush backed sort of by that group. And he, you know, he runs the CIA, cleans up after the church commission, but then, then he runs for vice president. He runs for president, but ends up as vice president. But he cuts a deal with the Reagan people that he will be in charge of intelligence Department of Justice and National Security. So he's basically at the, the National trifecta. Security Council. Right, the trifecta. He's there, but he does something else. And you would appreciate this. He gets an executive order adopted as soon as he takes control of the National Security Council that will allow private corporations to be paid as contractors to run highly classified activities for all the intelligence agencies in the military. Well, now what you've got is a way of generating massive stock market profits by running up stocks. So all your friends, you know, so Halliburton, you can run up Halliburton stock wow. tremendously by using this machinery. And then you can get them to do all your secret work. And so now, um, I don't know if you remember when the Department of Justice and the CIA did a memorandum of understanding saying that the CIA didn't have to report 
drug dealing activity by people as long as they weren't the you know the 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 full employee agent of the CIA. So you could get you know all these different corporate contractors running around and dealing drugs all over the world for the CIA. You know, and according to the memorandum of understanding with DOJ until 94, 95, when Clinton rescinded it, it was completely legal, according to the Department of Justice. So 4749 Act create the ability to create massive amounts of secret money. But now you've created a massive operational infrastructure that can use that secret money to do anything you want in the world. And now you're talking about building what in the James Bond movies you call Spectre. Mm hmm. Right. Because now, okay. now taxpayers are financing the whole game. Okay. Jeez. Now we go into 80s. We go into the 80s and the financial fraud starts. And if you talk to the people, I once used to talk to some of the intelligence operatives who did it. They were like, we did this fraud for 25 million and got away with it. So we said, okay, well, let's try 50 and let's try 100. And one of the things they discovered with all the guarantees of the federal government in the mortgage markets and the real estate market, they could engineer hundreds of billions of fraud. And that's of course, what ended us up in the SNL crisis. And in the SNL crisis, you basically had the US government take the SNLs and the, and the private system, you know, we refinanced out a half a trillion to a trillion dollars of essentially fraud. I mean, it was unbelievable. And it was really funny because I went in as Assistant Secretary of Housing in 89, and I was cleaning up the fraud at HUD. And what I discovered is all the mortgage defaults and fraud were all in the, we, we had two regions, Region 6 and Region 8. It was basically Colorado and Texas, and the Texas region had Arkansas in it. So it was basically the Bushes and the Clintons and the mortgage fraud was off the charts. Uh, it was unbelievable. And, and when I got there, HUD had no internal financial reporting or financial statements. And I got them implemented. And literally the guys in Texas didn't realize they were losing money. They were losing over a billion dollars a year and didn't realize. This is 89.90. So okay. Clinton comes into onto their radar how? Now remember, Clinton was the governor of Arkansas when Bush and that group oh, they were at and they Mina? were partners in running the MENA operation. The drug drug running operation in right. MENA. Oh, so, okay. so, yeah, and you had Hillary's law firm doing a lot of the housing bond work. Remember, they were laundering money uh, uh, allegedly through the housing agency. So you have the Bushes and the Clintons are partners right. in all of this. Okay. And this is this is huge money business. Because if you look at what you can do with the real estate mortgage fraud, you know, what they got away with with Iran-Contra was unbelievable. Okay, so, so now we go into the 90s. They have this big cleanup, right? <laughs> and the cleanup is run by the people who did all the fraud. So you've got Bush as president. He's going in as president, right? And so I go in as part of the cleanup team. That's when I first discovered some of the fraud. And you just, you couldn't believe the extent of the fraud. I mean, I know what I cleaned up and, and it used to just baffle me. And I remember talking to one guy from the intelligence agencies who insisted that Oliver North used to say that um, HUD was the covert uh, store of, uh, HUD was the candy store of covert revenues. Explain to me 
how the fraud worked. Think of this as like the joy of cooking. It has thousands of recipes, right? You know, so cooking is a simple concept, but there are lots of different things to cook and there are lots of different recipes, okay? So I'm, and I'm happy to give you examples, but one example, I'll tell you a great story. When I first got to HUD, I, uh, I was told by my, one of my deputies that there was an emergency in something called the coinsurance program. The coinsurance program was a program that allowed private mortgage bankers to issue government guaranteed mortgages through FHA. So a private company could issue private, you know, FHA mortgages to multifamily apartments. It's a multifamily apartment building uh, financing program. So my deputy comes, I'm brand new there. And he, he drags me in and he says, um, he says, there's a, uh, there's an emergency meeting because polar mortgage in Indiana is about to go down. And, um, uh, and there's a question about whether we should keep them afloat. So I know nothing about this. I go into the meeting, there are 30 people around the co-insurance staff. And, and I said, okay, just give me the background on this. So they give me a piece of paper and they say, well, Puller is a mortgage broker in Indiana. He's been issuing mortgages in the co-insurance program, I think for two and a half years. And uh, he has a portfolio of approximately $450 million worth of mortgages that he's servicing. And he already has an 18% default rate. And we anticipate that we're gonna lose 50 cents on the dollar on these defaulted mortgages. So I said, well, it looks to me like most of these are construction where you build in, um, you build in the first 18 months to three years of interest into the deal. So how could they default when the capitalized interest is in the deal to pay the debt service for the first 18, you know, you can't have a default rate this high. It's right, right. It's impossible. So everybody kind of looks at their feet and I think, what, you know, what's going on here? Because the only way you could get these kind of defaults is if people are just taking the money out the back door. So, so I said, well, what's the proposal? And they said, well, um, the proposal on the table is we refinance Puller to keep him going. And the problem with that is we, it's illegal for us to do that. And the last time we did it, we promised the IG we would never do it again. So I looked at them and I said, I said, do you know what happened to neighborhoods when you do these kinds of deals? When you finance a building like this and it defaults, you get mess. You know, you destroy the property values around you. We're here to create affordable housing and make communities wonderful. We're not here to destroy neighborhoods and to scam, you know, scam home builder deals. What are you talking about? And it was a scam home builder that had ruined my neighborhood as a child. It was how I first learned about it. Anyway, so so I said, why would we ever keep this guy going? He's paying us 50 basis points. We're getting a 50 basis point fee, you know, but we're losing $9 on every, you know, we're losing $8.50 on every dollar we, or every $100 we underwrite. Why would we do this? This is financial madness. The taxpayers lose money. The FHA fund lose, loses money and, and, and the citizens, you know, the neighborhoods lose money. Just as background, Christina, for you to know, whatever money you lose in the general fund that finances this program, 
you take at the end of the year, the accountants take the amount they lost and, and they write uh, an invoice to Congress and Congress is required to appropriate that amount of money. So it's a put to the appropriators and the appropriators never see where the money disappeared to. You know, it's the, I, all oh my of the, God, it's like the taxpayers' money is this giant pot of gold for them to steal. Well, remember, there are hundreds of recipes. This is only one recipe. Right. So many different ways of stealing. Okay, so so I'm sitting there and I'm saying, okay, so we're losing $8.50 for every $100 we issue if we're lucky and we're destroying neighborhoods. Why would we want to keep Polar Mortgage going? There's a long silence. Everybody's looking at their feet. And finally, one guy says, Mr. Puller is a major Republican donor. <laughs> so I had on my presidential cufflinks, okay, because I raised a lot of money for the Republicans. And I said, I'm a major Republican donor. You don't get $450 million of federal credit. You get cufflinks. And they, 30 people looked at me like I was the stupidest person in the world. It's like, she just arrived. She has no clue what's going on. She's not going to last here, you know, five minutes. Like, honey, you don't know that. And so I said, I said, I said, shut Puller down right now. Okay, now let me keep going. I walk back to my office. <laughs> the phone rings and it's the chief of staff to one of the senators from Indiana. This is maybe three minutes. Okay, from the time I said, shut, pull her down. A voice says, you know, I'm chief of staff to Senator so-and-so. And he said, then he said, how dare you shut, pull her down? Oh. So this is like three minutes. So I took a deep breath. This was a bluff. And I said, you know, Harry, you don't know me, but I have an MBA from Wharton. I was a partner and member of the board of Dylan Reed. Perhaps you've heard of the firm. The secretary of treasury was the chairman. I said, um, I have, a, have had a very successful career in finance. And there's some people who think I'm very, very good at finance. But I will tell you, I know your senator is a man of great integrity. And I know if he knew what I knew from looking at Mr. Puller's portfolio, he would be thrilled to know that I'm never going to give everybody your name or his name about the fact that you made this telephone call. And there was a long silence and, and he said, oh, thank you. Thank you. And hung up. Oh, my <laughs> so, I thought, so I thought, oh, I missed that bullet. Suddenly the hotline rings from the secretary's office and I pick it up and it's Jack Kemp and he says, how dare you shut Puller down? <laughs> Okay, so this story goes on. We could go, I could do another 30 minutes on how, how corrupt this portfolio was and how it took you to the highest levels. Because the, 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 the steps that Jack Kent went to to protect Mr. Puller in this portfolio were quite extraordinary. This whole system has been going on forever. It's just now at a it, very it mature phase. It, it hasn't been going on forever. It's been getting worse because yeah. when I was there, you had a covert side and you had an overt side. And, you know, the Bushies were very good about keeping them separate, you know, but then the Clintons came in. They were from a small state and they were like, oh, to hell with it. <laughs> anyway, what what happened next was in the 90s, they took the technology of financial fraud they used to do real estate in the 80s 
and they did real estate again, but they combined it with the securities market and with derivatives. It's no coincidence then from everything you said before that Clinton uh, brought down the Glass-Steagall Act. No. Um, but I think there was tremendous and very vicious pressure on him to do so. So um, it was a comedy. Yes, it was Clinton bringing down the Glass-Steagall, but if you look at the pressure to do it, it was criminal. Okay. And they, they came after him on the impeachment. I mean, it was a very dirty fight. I don't know if you remember this. You might remember this. Wait a second. Are you connecting the impeachment proceedings with him uh, pushing back on Glass-Steagall? Absolutely. That's interesting. Absolutely, because the bankers wanted free reign. And, you know, you had a variety of parties who really wanted to pull down the financial control you know, you, you had yeah. an internal control system in government to stop all sorts of shenanigans. And if you look at the pressure on Clinton with the impeachment, they punched through. And that's when the financial coup started. Because remember, you put Andrew Cuomo in at HUD, then you, you get rid of the honest guy at HUD. You put Andrew Cuomo in and then the first year, $59 billion goes missing, which is more than their entire budget and the credit they issued that year. Oh um, and right and and so that was exactly when I started bringing attention to the fact because here's let me step back. So I, I described the AD Act. I described Iran Contra. When I came into the federal government, I worked with a, a group of very remarkable people at OMB to change the laws on the theory that then it couldn't happen again. OMB is Office of Management and Budget. Office yeah. of okay. Management and Budget. And two of, the, um, two of the reforms that we implemented by legislation, we did it first for HUD and then they took it government-wide, was if you had a credit program, you had to have accrual counting. So you couldn't commit the government to liabilities without booking them and appropriating for them. So it was bringing the credit programs under real financial accountability. And the second thing was, um, and that included actuarial studies that would show you where you were for purposes of your financial statements and the accrual accounting. And the second was you had to produce audited financial statements. And a process began in 1994, 95, when the agency started to publish the fact that they couldn't publish audited financial statements. And, and that started, and it's been going on every year since then. M many agencies and the federal government have refused to produce financial statements. As I mean, there are required. transparency laws against that on the books, absolutely, aren't there? Absolutely. There are tremendous and great laws that requiring all of this. And they're, they're in absolute flagrant violation of any all of them. Anyway, so... So a process began in the mid-90s where HUD would produce financial statements that were, you know, not suppressed. Only, yeah, they were suppressed. And not only that, their excuses as to why they were suppressed were complete lies. I mean, I had run the biggest part of the operation. I had brought in the computers and the systems and the accountants and all the things you needed to have impeccable and perfect books. Who was responsible so, for the lies? Andrew Cuomo. He's still alive. Right. Well, like, do you have any idea how many people, you know, if you're engineering a financial coup of that magnitude, you're making a fortune for the guys yeah. on Wall Street. 
Yeah. Right. Well, and so for yourself he... in some way, for sure. Right. I mean, I don't think he was doing that for, for no pay. Allegedly. No, I, th I think Cuomo had tremendous systemic support for what he was doing. Wow. So, so a process began where um, I started to work with a wonderful reporter in Washington who introduced me to you, Kelly O'Meara. Yep. And she wrote the first Missing Money. I called it the Missing Money, the Kelly O'Meara Missing Money series. She wrote, I think, nine stories about all the money that was going missing at HUD and DOD. And I'll never forget Kelly calling me because the next inflection point is the Patriot Act in 9-11. So Kelly was working on a huge cover story for Insight Magazine about all the missing money. And we worked on all these graphs and charts and we really believed this was gonna blow up the world. And, and so on Monday, September 10th, Donald Rumsfeld comes out, holds a press conference and says, there's 2.3 trillion missing from DOD and the problem is worse than terrorism. And Kelly and I said to each other, you know, nothing can stop this story going viral. She was going to publish the story on Friday and Insight Magazine went to every congressional and Senate desk, right? So then- Because she had found more than 2.3 million, per trillion, right? Yeah, we were, we were up to 4 trillion. 4 trillion, yeah. We were up to 4 trillion. Okay. So, so you know, so we thought it was a modified hangout because he was just saying 2.3 trillion. Anyway, so 9-11 happens. Uh, DOD immediately gets a $48 billion appropriation increase and nobody cares. If you look at all the buildings that blew up that day, they were all the buildings with most of the documentation on the financial fraud. So what I've been told is the, you know, part of the Pentagon was destroyed, included the ONI investigation into the money going missing. Oh yeah, it right. did. Right. It did. My favorite one was working with Kelly. I discovered that, um, uh, uh, they had their main, DOD had their main sort of financial office out in Ohio. And they had put the guy who had done all the fraud at Enron in charge of the, he was like the chief financial officer or something for, for the Pentagon. And he, in, in, the, in the statements, the financial statements for that year, he said they couldn't produce audit financial statements because their office had blown up in the, you know, in the explosions at the Pentagon. And I thought, that's not impossible. The office is in Ohio. You know, the whole thing was. Well, and on top of that, when, when I remember when Kelly was reporting on this uh, and she was calling the DOD and saying, how could this be? And they were talking about how their computers didn't talk to each other. That's complete. Yeah, and yeah. They, they were, I mean, they, they blew so much smoke it, and it just wasn't credible, obviously. And then all of a sudden, right after, I mean, it was almost as if it was a response it was weird. The timing was so weird because it, it, it was almost it, it was almost a response. To, it felt like a response to Kelly's article in a sense. Well, Kelly finally got the article out a couple of weeks later, and it was a you know it was a great it was great it was a cover story and it was a great article. But of course, and it was funny right after that, I went to a town hall meeting of a congressman who was on both the budget both on DOD appropriations and the budget committee he was running for office in uh, Tennessee. And I said, what have you done? I said, there's 3.3 trillion missing from DOD. And in front of all my neighbors at this town meeting, he said, yes, I know. And I said, what are you doing about it? And he said, nothing, there's nothing I can do. 
That's what they I all later, tell you. Yeah, I, I later wrote him a long letter about all the different things he could do because in fact there was a lot he could do but i think he, what he meant was you know it was not his career would not he would not continue to rise politically if you tried to do it yeah but this is the, the the perennial problem um now it's gotten to the point where senators will tell you i mean i had i've had ron johnson tell me he can't do anything he couldn't do anything about the uh the suppression of early treatment for COVID, he doesn't have the power. They don't. They don't have any. They don't have the power. And and if you have bankers, bankers and 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 their top politicians, including presidents that they they put in, put into office, right. they can't do anything. Forget forget. Well, so, so might I, as well continue I, your career as an ineffectual representative of the people because you know they do, it does pay your bills but in the end everybody gets screwed right so the breaking so the financial coup was off and running with 9-11 and we were up to four trillion by by the time we hit obama i had the number up to um 12 trillion wow and and then um something happened uh in 2000 in the in the last year of obama um you saw the the main companies running the system spin their divisions off to a new company which is what i call a cut and run you're trying to protect yourself from corporate liability do you think some of that missing money was used to fund 9-11 if you look at how the black budget works and you can learn all about this at missingmoney.solary.com and we have a piece just on the legalities of the black budget and how it's constructed um my guess is that the 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 precursor money um, was probably financed out of the black budget, or it could have been financed with this money being stolen, but it didn't have to be. You know, there are many other pots, but I think the real funding on 9-11 came by trading, doing the insider trading. So oh. I think the victim's compensation fund was financed with the profits from the insider trading. And I will tell you from what I've seen and heard, all of which is anecdotal, I think it was one of the most profitable operations in the history of covert operations. I think they made an absolute fortune trading that in the long bond market and the derivative market and the currency markets. And of course, they, they wiped you know, trillions of dollars of liability off their books because they, they burn up and tore up the trail on the $4 trillion. So that was a you know, that was a five or six trillion dollar bank robbery, not to even mention the amount of money they made in all the wars they were able to start. You have called the uh, Patriot Act the Control and Concentration of Money Act. Right. The Control and Concentration of Cash Flow Act. Of Cash Flow. Oh, OK. Right. Can you explain Act. that to the audience? I'm going to grossly oversimplify. I think they were running into so much trouble financing the black budget and keeping all the lies straight that they wanted to bring a lot more of the black budget on budget and and to do that meant you needed more laws that made it easier to keep more secret that was essentially on the books and okay. and part of that was scaring everybody in congress to death i mean once you played the anthrax game on congress you know people were pretty cowed yeah. so you know if you look at what they did to Hamilton Securities, my company, and what they did to me, you know, I was poisoned eight times, Christina. Oh my God. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. One, a couple times I almost died. And, and I was under physical harassment. My house was being broken into. We got a dead rat on the mat. You know, it's like right out of the mafia. And I think a lot of what they did that was the most sort of exciting and titillating physical harassment was done to make it clear throughout Washington, you know, we were kind of the darlings of government reengineering and considered highly competent, highly ethical, highly nice, you know, very obedient contractors. We were just doing our job. And so if you went after us and you did this to us and the civil service that were doing a good job at their job, you know, you scared everybody to death. Yep. So I think it, we were made an example of, and it was meant to terrorize everybody else. So, Wow. You know, it was it was a pretty dramatic, um, you know, basically the message to everybody is if if you play ball, we'll take care of you. If you don't, we'll kill you or we'll kill your kids. Yeah. The plata you know, o plomo business, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, wow. I mean, this this was very, very this got very dirty. I don't know if you remember. I remember one week people in, in were dropping like flies. We had the Starbucks. The White House intern who was working at Starbucks was professionally assassinated at Starbucks. The bookstore across from my company was got subpoenas. A woman who was working at HUD disappeared. Um, that other, you know, doctor's daughter, you know, who was rumored to be in a sex club with congressmen, she she turned up dead in Rock Creek Park. I mean, people right. were dying left and right. It was dangerous. They have no compunctions about killing people when they have to. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about that. Well, I remember Sam Smith at Progressive Review was keeping death lists for the Clintons and the Bushes, and they were just getting longer and longer and longer. Do you think there'll ever be any possibility of dragging any member of, of uh, those two families into a court and, and finally a jail sale for justice? Is that ever going to be possible? I mean, things are so, kind of getting kind of interesting with Durham right now. In theory, it is possible. And I will explain why when we get towards the end. Okay. okay. Yeah, let's keep our timeline yes. going. Yes. So let's keep going. So in the last year of Obama, um, $6.5 went missing from, from DOD and the Army in one year. And then these companies spun their IT divisions out. And I thought, uh-oh. You know, if Lockheed wants to get out of the payment business for the financial coup d'etat and wants to be rid of the corporate liabilities, this is what I call a cut and run. So I started to talk on radio shows about 6.5 trillion. And Dr. Mark Skidmore, who was a professor, economics professor at the um, at Michigan State University, who'd been very upset by the financial crisis. And I should step back. The next real date in our timeline is the financial crisis because yes, 2008. the mortgage fraud had grown and grown and grown. And I have to tell you by 2006, I thought it was a miracle that they could keep the mortgage fraud for, you know, they just kept getting it bubbled more and more bubbled. And it was quite an amazing feat to keep all that fake paper. And I'm convinced there were, there were multiples more mortgages outstanding than there were houses in America. So on yeah, average- Yeah, that would not was, surprise me at all. Right. So, so the, the mortgage fraud was extraordinary and a lot of it was tied up with the federal credit. Now, the important thing to understand about that mortgage fraud is you cannot do that unless the Treasury and the Department of Justice and, and all the key and the New York Fed member banks are intentionally doing it. 
So we're talking about systemic fraud on a very high level. It's not the banks. It's not the treasury. It's all of them together. It's the only way it can work. And in fact, you know, I had been told it was that bad. I had a mortgage when HUD first came out with their financial statements. I had a New York mortgage banker come to my office and he brought me this huge stack of paper. And he said, I'm a mortgage banker and we track every FHA mortgage in the country. And he said, I want you to know that, you know, they say they're $400 billion of FHA mortgages outstanding. The reality is many multiples of that. Right. And Christina, I wouldn't take his database from him. I thought the guy was office because what he was saying was that the Department of Justice, the SEC, the Treasury and the New York Fed and their member banks were all engaged in massive, massive securities fraud. I've spoken to some SEC whistleblowers and, of course, uh, you have Dick Bowen of Citigroup and all those guys. And yeah, I mean, they they confirm that 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 the institutional corruption was there and it was huge so but can we name some of the bankers that you think were part of really making sure this all went down i i, I think reuben and, and uh reuben greenspan are the two if if you want to see who really engineered and led the financial coup it it was uh it was reuben and greenspan greenspan at the fed reuben at treasury and they put Cuomo over at HUD because you needed the, you know, you needed the HUD and the mortgages. And of course, Obama, he had in his, first of all, Obama came out of nowhere, became president, I feel. Right. Uh, uh, what's your assessment of that? And, you know, Citigroup, of course, sent their list of people right. for uh, right. suggestions to be on his, uh, so, so if you, in if his you administration. New, if you look at the New York Fed member banks, if you look at everybody at the New York Fed member banks and everyone at the Treasury and the Fed, you know, from that period on, they're all involved. Wow. They're all involved. I mean, you know, it was really funny when when the money started to disappear from HUD. I'm sitting there, you know, having a uh, an incredible legal food fight. And one of my old Dylan Reed colleagues comes over. He's now gone to Carlisle. And he's there to sniff out and figure out what I'm doing and what I know and what's going on. And suddenly billions of dollars are showing up at Carlisle and nobody can figure out these guys are brand new. How'd they get all this money? Where's all this money coming from? Well, I think that money was, was being pulled out of HUD and DOD and they were moving it into Enron. They were moving it into Carlisle. They're moving it into all these private firms. Wow. And that's when it was that period when the head of the largest pension fund in the country said to me, They've given up on the country. They're moving all the money out starting in the fall. And I thought he meant they're moving, they're reallocating funds legally to reinvest in Asia. And now what I've come to believe is, no, they were going to literally lever up the government and suck out every dime they could. They were going to privatize on a just-do-it method. Oh, my God. It was a coup. Yeah. It was a financial yeah. coup. And, and guess who went over to Carlisle at that time? I believe because... The powers that be didn't quite trust the guys. They were a little bit too slippery at Carlisle. So they put they put Jay Powell over there. So, you know, Jay Powell's punishment for making huge and hideous amounts of money at Carlisle now is he's got to run the Fed in a period where basically the U.S. is borrowing money just to pay the interest on the debt that they borrowed. Remember the other thing that Bush did um, after 9-11 you know, he passed that Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act, which basically 
robbed right. every nation of the world of its sovereignty or you know financial sovereignty because since the u.s and since the u.s dollar was the reserve currency any exchanges uh that were made and that was the global reserve currency any exchanges made um the u.s had to know about because they had to approve the, the partners because if they were considered terrorists by the u.s then right. it, it was illegal according to the u.s even though you know the u.s the, is not the patriot act and the war on terror was basically created to use the financial system and the capital markets to assert complete control in the assertion of complete control globally which makes the right. united states now is becoming as a result i feel of the foreign account tax compliant act okay and what's going on right now in ukraine and russia you know the dollar is it looks to me because now russia and china you know uh they want to they want to start exchange doing exchange things uh in their own currencies other people are getting fed up with this uh with 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 the the foreign account tax compliance act so they are they might start trading in rubles and so on and so forth so, so the dollar what's going to happen to the dollar that comes down to That's weaponry. that is a military question because what what the u.s financial system has made clear is that they don't respect the law they have no ideology and they don't respect the law they're simply there to take and so the question is will you agree with their taking or will you fight it and and who's prepared to fight and organize to fight together and if that happens you split into a multipolar financial system you know you you end up with a duopoly where you know between world war one and world war ii the sterling the pound sterling and the u.s dollar shared reserve currency status so so we may get a split here where um, you get a basket of currencies or, you know, the BRIC nations do something that provides a real alternative to the dollar. But I would say, you know, a, a real effort has been made to make a extraordinary fortune on destroying the United States. Yes. Yes. That's what it looks like. That's what's been happening. The financial coup was a process of stealing the United States blind. And part of that was moving lots of manufacturing and other resources abroad in a way that changed who got the equity and who owned it. So you literally have harvested and re-engineered the United States in a way that creates enormous wealth offshore and in other places for the people who engineered it. Most of the people who have engineered it, are they Americans? Many of the ones I know are. Okay. But they don't, they don't think of themselves as Americans. Now they you're talking about Mr. Global. Well, but they don't even think of, of, you know, unfortunately, one of the things that's happened is they think of themselves as if they are a separate species. They don't think of the average American they don't think of you and I as being a member of the same species as they are. You know, one of the unfortunate things, and we come back to crime that pays is crime that stays. When you can get away with this much secrecy and this much secret weaponry and this much secret reality and this much secret money, 
you literally get a breakaway civilization. And they do not think of themselves any longer as belonging to the same civilization as we do. Yeah, that's why they're looking at us like livestock now. One of the things that happened that was so interesting in the financial crisis, Christina, is that more than 80% of the American people were adamantly opposed to the bailouts. And yet the bailouts, which, which couldn't get through the first time, did get through the second time. And what you saw was a, a banking establishment and a covert intelligence establishment that could get their way even when 80% of the American people were, were opposed. Yeah. You had, you had so much intimate control. And when I say intimate control, a senator who's got a control file with dirty pictures in it, or a senator who's afraid of getting an anthrax letter, or a senator whose kids has been threatened and is terrified. You know, yeah. we're, talking, we're talking about dealing with organized crime. Well, that's how people like Epstein and Maxwell made their money, right? In their big blackmail schemes. I mean, Lord so knows. So I, I believe that Epstein, the Clinton Foundation and Epstein were set up to help launder all the money they were pulling out of the U.S. government. And part of Epstein's job was to run a control file operation. Yeah. Yeah. Now, with, with modern telecommunications, it's so much easier to get um, control files on everybody, particularly if you can get them watching porn on a government computer. You know, every government accountant is, bam, you got a control file. Anyway, so, so we come up to Catherine on the radio talking about, and on the internet talking about 6.5 trillion going missing during fiscal 2015. So this wonderful economist who was very offended by the bailouts and what was happening financially um, heard me and he thought, you know, she has to be wrong. It's not possible, you know, to steal, you know, three or four times the entire federal budget out of one agency. It's not possible. Actually, given what I know about financial fraud, it is possible, but he didn't realize that. Anyway, so he went to the website and got all the financial statements and downloaded and read them and realized, oh, I was right. So he called me and he said, you know, or he emailed me and he said, you know, this is what I've done. And I realized you're right. Is there anything I could do to help? So I called him and we talked and came to the conclusion, yes, he could get a, a group of graduate students and they could go through systematically all the financials from 1998 to 2015 and do a complete survey to see really at DOD and HUD how much was missing. And lo and behold, uh, it turned out he got the number up to 21 trillion. I had it up to 12 trillion. He got it up to 21 trillion. Yeah, and you should have seen him and his students. They were in a state of, oh my God. <laughs> he'd call me and he'd say, I found another trillion, you know. And I said, I told you it was bad. I told you. Anyway, is it so mostly he, DOD? Mostly DOD. It's 20 trillion at DOD, a trillion at HUD. Okay. So, um, I, you know, so we got, by the end of 2015, we got it up to 21 trillion. Now they stopped producing the documentation we would need to even figure out what the undocumented adjustments are so we don't you know i'm sure it's much more but we don't know now the interesting thing about that 21 trillion number when he identified 21 trillion missing from dod hud the u.s debt was up was at 21 trillion oh my god okay. what a so coincidence imagine, what a coincidence what a coincidence so you 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 issue a trillion dollars of debt you steal a trillion dollars out of the back door right and that's how you bankrupt a government. It's just a bank robbery. 
Right. Right. I'm in a state of shock right now. Wow. But we're not bankrupt because we have an IOU. Under the law, the New York Fed member banks and the contractors are liable for that money. And that money went somewhere. Interestingly enough, right after Skinmore published his big report, we put it up on the website and I was insistent and he thought I was paranoid. I was insistent that we make copies of all the financials every year in all the, the related agencies at DOD and HUD and put them up on an independent oh, yeah. website and put those documents in multiple locations offline and online around the world. Yep. So when we launched the report, we had copies of all the documents. They were on our website, our servers around the world. We had offline copies around the world and we had, you know, we just had the whole archive nailed. So the first thing that happens is DOD and HUD take down their documents immediately. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Right. And oh. then and then we made a big deal on all the radio shows about the fact that they did it. And I don't think they realized that we had copies of everything, at which point, you know, they somebody told them to put it back up. I oh, here you go. Them. You lost your documents. Here you go. We got we have a set for you. They said they said they were reorganizing their websites, but it turns out the HUD and the DOD IGs were both magically reorganizing their websites on the same day at the same time. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> anyway, so. Skidmore comes out with this report and, um, you know, part of the problem that the contractors can spin off their IT division, but the New York Fed cannot spin itself out. You know, it can't get out of the corporate liability. And it wasn't that long after that the New York Fed reported a fire on a Saturday night on the roof because somebody was using an ancient fireplace in the basement. I wonder why. 